0: Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor. With mixed market bet builders, in-play betting, and a selection of welcome offers, make sure your Premier League is spent with BetVictor's premier betting app. 18 plus be
1: NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away.
0: Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that will never end. Yes, folks, this is the Blue Day podcast, and for Chelsea fans everywhere, every day is a Blue Day. I am your host, Keith Lawrence, and today it is my privilege to welcome these two guests who, along with their colleagues, have sent shockwaves through certain quarters of the Chelsea community. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Kerry Levy and Gary Hayes. Gentlemen, how are we both?
2: We're fine, actually. Yeah, it's good. It's a sunny day. It's bright out there. Our podcast series, The Blueprint, uh, launched uh, this week and, yeah, we're happy. How about you, Gary?
1: It's raining in Royal Tunbridge Wells. Not getting the royal treatment here. Is that royal rain? It, it feels like it. But like holy water.
2: <laughs> holy water. Go, <laughs> go and anoint yourself.
1: It's currently a grey day, unfortunately.
2: I wish I could say the
0: same in Rochester as well, which don't help. It all right, not that far from me, Keith. Not far from you at all. Just... No, not far at all. Just realise you you said Tunbridge Wells. I'm like, my God, I was. I there. was I was in
1: Rochester just the other week. So I was picking my mate Dan up. I was driving to Chelmsford for a party, and Dan, my mate Dan, I didn't realise he lived in uh, Rochester. Um, he's a Leicester fan, unfortunately, but I had to pick him up on the way.
0: As long as you didn't speak about the three-one win, then we'll be alright. I uh, you know it, it
1: was it was the um, it was the weekend before.
2: Ah,
1: yeah. Right. And then I went up to Leicester with Kerry because Kerry doesn't live too far from Leicester. So we went up to that game, didn't we?
2: We did indeed. And it was a fabulous day out, I have to say. I haven't great been to an though. away game. Oh, yeah. haven't been to an away game for a while. And actually, it was just rocking. Uh, I forgot how great the away support really can be.
0: Been to a few games myself. I went up to Newcastle, done Nottingham, done Leeds and Southampton, done West Ham.
2: What was was Nottingham like? I've I've thought that was probably the one that I would love to have gone to because I know quite a few Forest fans around here and I I reckon that place was rocking, wasn't it?
0: The atmosphere was good, I have to say, from them. Uh, I think from Chelsea's fans' perspective, it was just... We, we was expecting a win because of the way Nottingham Forest were sort of in, in the table at that point. And we just played poor. It was just a poor performance all round from our, from our standpoint. Um, but no, great, great ground, really good atmosphere. And, you know, from a, from an away day perspective, I do hope they stay up because I would like to do the city ground again next season. You know, really, really good away day.
2: Yeah, that that's marked on my calendar as one to try and get tickets for next year. Uh, let's hope it's not going to have to be in the cup. No, let's hope not.
1: What, we could go down, Kerry, is that what you're suggesting?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're in... <laughs> no, we're on 40 points now, aren't we? So... Yeah, we're safe. <laughs> <laughs>
0: At least there's no relegation playoff that we have to contend with. Not like in '88. At least, at least you don't have none of that to. Oh, oh! Now you make me feel
2: all a bit, bit dizzy and queasy remembering those days. <laughs> it's funny when
0: I've spoken to people on the uh, I've, I've had on the show, people like Tony DiRigo and Pat Nevin, and we've all said about the relegation playoff, and they're like, "How did we not beat the likes of Charlton or Middlesbrough?" beforehand it just was just completely just an off day you know the, the team was sort of in free fall but the quality was still there in certain players but yeah as you say how that team went down
2: oh you know the the 80s were a dark time and uh, especially for clothes and haircuts and Chelsea football <laughs> problems but you know I'm glad we we've left them way in the distance I really am no need to get my crimpers out anymore. That's what everyone used to do is crimp their hair. <laughs> there was ridiculous things. Going. Anyway, we digress. Sorry. We are Jake. we are digressing.
0: But gentlemen, I've, you guys, like I said on the top of the show, you guys have certainly been busy. But before we talk about the blueprint podcast itself, just give us a bit of a background in both of your histories in terms of, you know, when did you guys start supporting Chelsea? And when did the love affair begin? And certain memories? Well, Ke- Kerry should go first
1: because his story is right. going to start about forty years before mine.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're just. Uh... And, then, and then
1: when when you got up to eighty two, Kerry, I'll pick it up from there. So we might be a while.
2: <laughs> yeah, because of course you're basically a trophy hunter. It's only when we started winning things, <laughs> I appeared. Yeah, exactly. No. Um, yeah, for me, as a very, very, very young boy, I got taken to Chelsea. It, well, I I saw that cup final. Um, my dad had always gone to Chelsea in the 1930s and things. And he always said to me, one day you'll go and see Chelsea. And then the cup final, I remember watching the replay at Old Trafford on the, uh, the old TV uh, and we won that. And he said, right, well next year might be the year for you. You're, you're now old enough. I think I was seven or eight. And um, the next year, he bought a season tickets in the West Stand uh, at Chelsea. And it was the most incredible change in my life, I guess, because there's, there's something, I, I guess we all kind of remember that feeling. We may, may not remember the exact first moment we go in, but you remember that feeling when suddenly, you feel as though you belong; that you're part of something. You're part of a crowd, and and it it just changed everything for me. And and it's been like that ever since. You know, I've I've gone pretty much on and off. There was a period in the '80s where it got really ugly, where it got really boring. And I remember once getting my scarves nicked off me by other Chelsea fans, and I thought that's a bit strange. Um, but you know. Um, I I've, I've stuck with Chelsea ever since so yeah for me it's be, it's become a lifelong love Gary what and about you and for me
1: well my my first love th- this is um controversial but I make no secret of it um my first love in terms of football was England um it was Italy 90 I'd never I you know I'd been watching Chelsea on TV um but if you listen to um the Ken Bates tapes. You find out why Chelsea weren't on TV that much. So Chelsea weren't ever on TV so much. And um, I, I, I'd, I'd fallen in love with football during Italian nightly. But then after that, I was begging my dad to take me because I'm from a big family, and um, it's eight eight kids. Um, and my mum and dad are just crazy. Uh, so there's, but there's seven boys and one girl, and I'm number five, and I've got four older brothers. And uh, they had been to a couple of Chelsea games, but I wasn't that interested because I was like seven years old and an Italia 90 hit and that just set it for me. And then um, I, I remember just begging my dad. I was like, can we go? Can we go? Can we go? And then my first game was at the end of the 1991 season on the back of Italia 90 and um, we played Liverpool. And it's funny you mentioned uh, Forrest just a moment ago because um, the weekend before we'd would we been stuffed 7-0 at the city ground by Forrest. And we were driving, uh, my family's all from, um, from Battersea around that way, but I, I was born in Peterborough and that's where we grew up. And, um, I remember we were going down in my dad's, in my dad's car, me, my four older brothers, Seb, Adam, Nick and Jordan. And, um, we were all arguing over how much Chelsea were going to get beaten by because Liverpool was still in the title race. And I said, you know, no, 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 we're going to win, we're going to win. And, um, we won 4-2. And that was it. And I've still i think... still got the programme from that game because um on the back of the program they just had the, the squad listed but it had a box where you could tick if they played. That's it. And um we you know my dad ticked it to show to show who played and he's still got my dad's handwriting on it. So in our family, that's a really precious like bit of memorabilia, but I'm the one who's got it. I've kept it because it's my first game.
2: Don't you don't so. you think it's uh, sorry, Keith, just batting in. I I was just thinking there is something quite interesting that the fact that both of us respond to football by having seen something major on TV, like with me, it's the cup final with you. It's Italian 90, which actually for me, you know, friends of mine still talk about the days when I used to live in a one bedroom flat. And there was, there were the day, those were the days where I think we once had 36 people in my front room watching game by game. Everyone would turn it. It was like, it was like being in a football ground, but But TV has that power to just engage with you. And it's much harder to do now to to actually then go, oh, well, I want to go and see this team. You know, tickets are like gold dust on the whole for for big clubs. Uh, And I think that's a a dreadful shame because I remember the days you could turn up at Chelsea and get a ticket on the day. That didn't mean it would be empty. It would still be absolutely full.
1: We we used to go in through Bovril Gate um, into the shed. shed. And... um, We we would, we, we, it didn't happen that day, but we ended up having memberships and then uh, we got some season tickets and we, but we'd go through the Bovril gate and sometimes the guy on the turnstile would go, go on, just jump over. Because so, he'd see my dad turn up with all these boys and he would just say, oh, go on, jump over. It's all right. And he'd make my dad pay, but everyone else would jump over. um, But we, it was funny because we remember it so well because um, we used to drive down and um, we'd see hitchhikers on the A1. And my dad would pick him up. You know, we're like, should we pick him up, boys? And we're like, yeah, go on, dad, do it. And this one time we picked this guy up. And I remember he had this long, you ever seen Lockstock? And there's that guy in it, Plank, who the ginger, long ginger hair. This guy looked, I remember seeing Lockstock years later. and I was like, I swear that we picked that guy up as a hitchhiker. And um, this guy, we picked him up at at Yaxley Kerry, at Norman Cross, right? Which um, if you drive on the A1 a lot, you'll know what we're talking about. And uh it used to be it used to be just a roundabout, now it's like a flyover and an underpass. And um so we picked him up, and my dad was like, Oh, where are you going? He goes, Oh, I'm going to London. He goes, Go on, get in. He goes, I've got my boys in the back. So because we were in a van, and um he gets in, he's like, oh, All right, boys, we're all chatting, and we've all got our Chelsea scarves on and everything, and we're driving for about 20 minutes and we're chatting and stuff, and then i no one thought of to ask, and I just went, So who do you support then? And he went, Arsenal. And the car just went and we're just driving and after about 10 seconds my dad went I think you need to get out <laughs> and the guy was like really? and then we all started laughing we went no no it's alright it's alright and he's like oh god thank god and we were all like winding him up down to London and then we then um, we dropped I, I don't know why my dad did this detour but we dropped him off at Holloway Road and uh, yeah so we used to do, it, was, it was amazing but then what we did is um, we used to he used to take us on the tour the, the detour around Buckingham Palace and all that so we could see the sights and we do it every week. And then um, but we used to park over at Parsons Green. And just by chance, we found a road called Peterborough Road. And we were like, it's our destiny. We must park here every week. So we used to park on Peterborough Road at Parsons Green. And then um on the back, because it's all on the back of Italian 90, I was I was like in love with Roger Miller. Roger Miller was my hero. He was, you know, one of the non-English players. That, and um I remember we used to walk across this dirt courtyard that had a pitch on it. And I was like, it's the Cameroon pitch, it's the Cameroon pitch. We we used to bring our ball and play on it before we'd go to the game and stuff. Yeah, I loved those days. It's amazing. How big was your car, for
2: God's sake? Well, it was a van. <laughs> it was a...
1: <laughs> but yeah, there was, <laughs> so there was four of us in the back. there was Adam, Nick, Jordan and me in the back and Seb being the eldest is up front with my dad.
2: Oh, my God. Brilliant. That's fantastic. I love it. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> Good old days, they were. But yeah, I used, to, I used to love going with my dad and my brothers and stuff. And um. My oldest brother Seb, um he thinks he he thinks he knows his stuff. If he's or he
2: well, he will be, no doubt, because he's waiting for the credit. Because he says that he taught you everything you know about <laughs> Chelsea.
1: Yeah, everything I know that um I shouldn't know, right? <laughs> so um so basically th- th- to, um, to bring it right up to the blueprint, this was the inspiration for the blueprint. I remember I had this epiphany, like this premonition. I was in the car, and we'd just been given a Game Boy by my aunt, and um, for Christmas. And we're all arguing over who could play with it. And we used to—it was amazing because we we always used to leave games early, because not because we want, but my dad was always worried about you know me, little eight-year-old me, getting caught up if there's any trouble and stuff. So we used to leave early, and then we'd get over to Parsons Green. I remember we'd get in the car just in time for sports report, so the music would come on. And you would hear the, you know, that amazing music come on and we'd hear all the results coming in. But then we went to visit my, my aunt, Elaine, she, my dad's sister. She used to work on the underground. So we called in and we saw it. I, you know, I wasn't aware of what the tube was and stuff, but we called in. I was, what's this weird place we were at? And she gave, it was Christmas and she gave us a Game Boy for Christmas, but we all had to share it. So I remember we were all fighting in the back and I got really angry with Seb. And I just sort of just, I remember being a bit serene. I just thought, and he was there going, quizzing me on Chelsea stuff. And I just remember, I remember thinking, one day I'm going to prove that I know more about Chelsea than you. And here I am as a 40-year-old still holding a grudge against my older brother. <laughs> waking up every morning going, I'm going to do the blueprint and I'm going to show him.
2: But I'm so going to ha- show him. So how far away are you from knowing more than your brother now? Oh, I've,
1: I've long surpassed him. <laughs> <laughs> but he's still there in the back of my mind, doubting me. <laughs>
2: Fantastic. Seb, so I think I think we need a question off. We need to get them together. <laughs> well, uh, I've, already,
1: I've already done one with my brother Jordan's um, son, Harry, my nephew. Yeah, but... He was like, I know more about Chelsea than you. And I went, I do this for a living. Of course you don't. And he went, yeah, but everything from 2022 to
2: 2023, I know more. <laughs> one year.
1: <laughs> I think it was like one week.
2: One oh, week sure. in Chelsea, I know more. To be fair, he is only 14. Well, I put him in his place. <laughs> <laughs> Teach him young. Sorry, Keith. Um, no, 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 no. Sorry, when
0: we question?
1: get chatting, it's, it's in fact... Why don't you tell us, Keith, about how you got into Chelsea? I'd like to know more.
0: Okay, right. It was around 96, 97 season. And it, cut a long story short, my favourite auntie was a Chelsea fan. She grew up... Uh, near Bermondsey not far from Millwall's ground but she liked Chelsea and every time I used to see her i seen me nan and grandad she used to go one day you're going to support Chelsea you know come on your blues and blue was my favourite colour and my first kit I've still got it to this day it's wrapped up in me memorabilia collection was my first uh, kit which was the 97-98 kit with the auto glass with the white collar Still got the shorts, socks obviously I haven't got, but yeah, that that's how it started. And then sort of became a Chelsea fan through there. And then once I got to secondary school, then sort of the buzz really got in there. So around 2000, 2001, then became an avid Chelsea supporter since then.
1: I love that. So you, you came along at the right time. So, so basically your podcast being Blue Day, because this is what I always say about the song Blue Day, um... You know, my my dad bought we we were brought up as kids because you know Sky TV and the football like it is now wasn't like that in the in the late eighties and early nineties and we were brought up on two videos. One was the official history of Chelsea, which was narrated by Gerald Sinstad, the old commentator. But it only went up to nineteen eighty nine because that's when the video got released. I've got it in my little collection over there, and then um, the other video was a video called Six Memorable Matches. And it was just six matches at random of uh, Chelsea, you know, playing Man United in like nineteen sixty seven, I think it was, and we beat them three two. And then there's one against um, Newcastle, we beat them five 0 Then there's the Sheffield Wednesday game in the League Cup with the four or um, Hillsborough. And uh, so we we used to watch those videos religiously, and that's how I got my Chelsea knowledge from watching Gerald since that do that documentary from 1905 up to tonight and i used to love that well, i don't know whether they did it deliberately but the videos were bang on 90 minutes mm. and i was like it's like watching a football game so what i would do is i even if i was watching it by myself or my brothers i'd get to 45 minutes and i'd pause it for 15 minutes go have a drink and do something as if it was half time and then watch the rest of it um but of, part of that was blue is the color so that and that was my dad's song as he was growing up so Blue Day, for I always say Blue Day is my gen or our generation, Keith. Our generation is, is is our blue is the colour, right?
0: That's right. Yeah, I, I would say that. Probably a little bit different to the '94 <laughs> Cup Final song. Who I've spoken to a couple uh, of players that were part of that, they hated it. They absolutely hated it. But no, Blue Day for me, it was it's a great song and it just it was part of that era that Chelsea was starting to push through the barrier a little bit. You know, from the '80s of been in going up in '84, then coming back down and having the dark days of the hooligism, to then for the '90s bringing in Rude Hullet and the likes of Viali, Di Matteo, and Zoli. You're like, Christ, and then winning the FA Cup, it just propelled the club to new heights. And yeah, you know, Blue, Blue, the Blue Day song, superb. And I have to say, even your rendition, you know, the new version. So, so to speak, of the uh, Blue Day song, part of uh, you know the Blueprint, just superb. I've listened to a little bit of it, but you know, really, really nice touch how that all came about. And in terms of the Blueprint podcast as well, you sort of you know gave us a little bit of an insight into your thinking behind it. But how how did it all come together? In terms of getting it all prepared and getting it out there for the likes of myself and others to listen to.
1: Well, it's been um, it's been an eight year journey. Um, so I'll, I'll just sort of say it in a, in a nutshell quickly, and then I'll pass over to Kerry for him to finish the rest of it off. But I had this idea. So my background is I worked for Chelsea for a long time. I still, I still write for them now for the for the program, and um, and I'd left Chelsea by this point, and I was working with CNN and others. And I was getting a bit tired of it. And then, um, I got this, this Spurs fan of all people, um, invited me onto a podcast that his company runs called the Chels. And, um, and I met this really, really lovely guy called Andy Saunders. Um, and he introduced me to a guy called Kerry.
2: <laughs> Not quite the truth.
1: And, um, and anyway, and we, and we just got chatting and Kerry and I would always chat on the phone and, and stuff. And I kept going on as a guest. And then, um, And then Kerry told me more about what he does. And, um, and Kerry makes documentaries and he said, Oh, you, I said, Oh, look, I want to move into this. You know, I want to start doing that because, you know, I'm not a journalist. I'm a football writer, but I do features and it's the way the media is going is changing and the stuff I do. I feel like I'm going to get marginalized and pushed out. I can't really do it. And then Kerry said, Oh, look, I I did this, this, um, I did this documentary called Bananas about the band Gorillas. And I'd been, I had this idea about Chelsea for, about seven or eight months before and um i wanted to make it all about chelsea versus barcelona and that modern rivalry um so anyway i watched i watched bananas and um i I, I really recommend it if anyone just likes music and just especially because it's it's with gorillas that are a band that are so different to blur and you know they've they've done these amazing things right and um, I watched it and it starts from the inception of gorillas, and and Damon's in the video and he's flicking a cigarette into it. Kerry's heard this story now loads of times, but he's flicking a cigarette into his mouth and he can't do it. And then at the very end of the dock, um, they've done all this incredible stuff and they've got Dennis Hopper on stage in America. And, you know, this, they're just going wild. And then um, Damon at the end, they're, they're in the airport and he gets a cigarette and he flicks it in his mouth and he catches it. And the look of the light on his face, he looks right in the camera and he says, it took me seven years to learn that. And I was just like, this is amazing because, you know, what I love about the, you know, the documentaries I love are the ones that that, that whole cliche concept of show don't tell. And what Kerry had done in this documentary was there was no subtitles. There was no, um, you know, idea of time or narrative. It was just, you're just following the story. So you don't know where you are, time and place because it's not important. What's important is, what you're seeing in front of you, right? And I just loved the fact that he had told this seven-year story in about 120 minutes or whatever it is. Um, And then he bookended it so well with this little subtle cigarette. And I was just like, he's doing the stuff I want to do. So then I called him and I said, we need to have a chat. So we sat down in Old Street in this really lovely coffee shop where they were roasting the coffee around us. and had all these amazing aromas and, and whatnot. And I had this amazing coffee. Kerry had a boring mint tea and fresh.
2: Uh, fresh though darling Fresh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we just spoke about it and then Kerry said to me when this story's bigger than Barcelona we should do something different we should do it about Chelsea modern Chelsea and whatnot and then we developed it and developed it and then it became the story from we just sort of flushed it out and we said well what is Chelsea's modern story everything up to this point has been spoken about so well by other people who are you know um better educated than me to tell that story more informed than me and I just thought well but I can do 92 to 2012 I feel like that's something that I'm qualified to do so we sat down thrashed out what the narrative arc was but we didn't want to stick to just doing this as a chronological story you know of that and then this happened oh and that happened And Chelsea won this and then we just no. let's get deep deep in it and really pull it apart and show what Chelsea were doing to football what Chelsea were doing culturally, but then what Chelsea were doing internally as well. So here we are now, 180 interviews later, on and off the record, we've spoken to club executives, former players, um, former coaches, people from the tea room, people from behind the scenes that have never spoken publicly before because they've never had a platform to do so. And we're just building this whole idea of what Chelsea is. And the hope is that what it will do is it will resonate with Chelsea fans because they will hear this stuff about the club they support and they will be able to associate themselves with this whole culture of it. But then equally for a normal football fan and for Chelsea fans, they'll learn things about football and new revelations that people weren't aware of. And just really what the role Chelsea played with modern football. But the key to it is understanding that it's not just about 2003 when Roman Abramovich came in, there was a 10 year period before where Ken Bates, had changed the landscape that set it up for Chelsea to go on and become the club it is. And obviously with the influence of Matthew Harding and others as well.
2: And I think the thing, why it works so well between the two of us is because if you're doing a collaboration with somebody, if you're doing a partnership with somebody, you can't be the same person. You've got to bring different skill sets and things. And my, my, side of things is I'm a documentary maker. That's what I've always done, uh, mainly in film uh, and a storyteller. So when when Gary, as a sports journalist and writer, who's wanting to break out into something else, he's got a different world of knowledge and he's got a different uh, set of skills and, and different acumen to me. And that's why I think it's been such a good relationship to work together because we we come from different areas to create this thing in the middle of our, our different skill sets, you know. And now now I'm a sports pundit, you know, and taken seriously. Gary, of, <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. You know, it's, it's just kind of weird. For me, I've always loved sport. You know, Chelsea, of course, is my greatest love, but I've always loved sport. So being able to – I'd never even thought about trying to get into the sports world as it were to work uh, and tell stories and find a way in because it's it's so hard but with Gary he took me into a whole world in a different way that I I never thought was going to be possible in that kind of respect um you know I've had moments I I presented Chelsea TV for for a, a year which was which was interesting but in those days you weren't even allowed to talk to the players um I think the only person we were allowed to talk to was Antonio Pintus, um, who was the fitness trainer. That's right. And that was was about as close as we got. And we were allowed to go and see him when the players had just left the training ground. So there there was a real different sort of approach to things like that. But, yeah, no, Gary Gary has has been instrumental in getting me involved in a world. And I think we've learned things off each other. And out of that has come this sort of marriage that has created... The blueprint and I I do think what we're doing is something that's never really been done especially in this country ever before a sports narrative podcast that is something so different because when when the big companies come in and all your bbcs and your skies and your newspapers and everything they have to have pretty much a short turnaround they they don't do labors of love And what this does is this is a project that's been built, thought about and created by two deep, deeply uh, almost sports religious Chelsea fans. If you know what I mean, we we love Chelsea, but we want to tell an unbiased point of of how Chelsea became the the behemoth it's become today. And I, I think we've, done that by speaking to so many people and you couldn't have done that in a big company yeah you might have got easier access to people but i don't think you'd have got the same kind of questioning the same kind of discussions that we've had with our guests because i think most of our guests realize hey these guys are professional they do this for a living this is what they they love to do but they're also chelsea fans and the amount of times people go oh yeah no one's ever asked me that before because we're looking at things differently it's not surface content and and consequently you're getting incredible insight into things you find yourself almost being well inside the dressing room at great moments in Chelsea history in a way that I don't think I've heard come across really in the past at all so yeah that that's how it all came into being and you know now now we're we're putting it out there and it's it's working. It's working, definitely.
0: And I have to say, for the first episode that has come out, you know, this week <laughs> which has caused a bit of a stir. Your first guess was none other than a certain Ken Bates. I mean, that must have been a huge experience to interview him, because I know from certain people that he doesn't trust a lot of people within the media. He don't do many interviews now nowadays, or even sort of even back. Past when he was at Chelsea, but how did this fantastic opportunity come about for you guys?
2: Well, yeah, I it should took pass months. this to, to to Gary because Gary <clears throat> persevered and and actually had to win his trust. So yeah, Gary, if you'd like to explain that,
1: yeah, well, what what we've done is um and what what we're keen to stress to people is that what you what you hear with the Ken Bates tapes is um that's not the style of the blueprint. The blueprint is a narrative podcast it is narrative storytelling so um you'll hear a, an array of voices throughout every episode but what we've what we did is um we wanted to whet the appetite with fans so they could get an you know an idea of just how we're trying to do this and also the sort of content they're going to get in that we know Chelsea and and when, when I say this I'm talking about us as well is that you think you know Chelsea well, you don't. And that's not saying that we know it. That's to say for anyone, it's like you think you know Chelsea Well, you don't, because we've just learned so much on the way that we're just learning every day as we go. And even on the back of releasing the stuff with Ken, um, we are on the phone all day learning new stuff. And, uh, you know, with other people speaking to us going, oh, look, can we be involved in this now? Um, which is great. Um, but what happened with Ken was we, we agreed with him. Part of the agreement um, is that we would do the interview with him and we would put it into the documentary in the way that we want to put it in. But we would release the full interview as well. Um, And we were happy to do that because the one thing we want to do is that there's so many great interviews. Not only with just Ken, but with Glenn Hoddle and others, you know, right up to 2012 that Kerry and I spoke. And we just said, look, a lot of this, because we're not making episodes four hours long. You know, they're going to be an hour long um, at tops. And we're doing eight episodes. And we're like, we've got nearly a thousand hours of interviews here. We, we're not going to put every single interview out, but the key ones like Glenn Hodder and others, we just said, look, let's do this where we put them out post series. Um, so we've launched with the Ken Bates tapes. Then we go into the eight part narrative series. And then on the back of that, we will release the full interviews for the ones that are the most important that fans are really going to want to hear and get that insight. Cause there'll be so much more that they learn that isn't part of the overall narrative, Right. So um we, we did that with Ken, but um we we yeah we just um we'd been trying to get a hold of him and um like I say my background of working with Chelsea is um we got a few people to you know to speak to him on our behalf and then um fortunately someone who's been a guardian angel of um the blueprint is a guy called Mike Canaris and uh Mike wrote the song Blue Day. That's right. And um we spoke to Mike and then he's um being incredible with us, um, loved what we were doing, really bought into it. And he's a Chelsea fan. And, um, and then he, he was the one who had the suggestion about the music and whatnot. And then it led to him doing it for us and that we licensed it off him. But Mike, um, amongst everyone else spoke to Ken on our behalf and said, look, these are good guys. They're trying to do something different here, Ken, and we think you should really speak to them. So, um, I was on holiday in center parks and, uh, in Woburn and um, I was down you know round the cabins and all that all week and I had no phone service which was good so I wasn't bothered because I was like I'm on holiday I'm trying to get a break and I went up to bring my bike you know to bring our bikes up and I was dropping all the bikes off and then my phone started pinging and I had all these voicemails <clears throat> and I was like god I've had all these calls in a week. I better you know, just listen to these voicemails now in case anything important but I saw all these no, it was like number plus 377 I was like where is that? And I looked up. I was like, "It's Monaco. Who's calling me from Monaco?" And I listened to the message, and it's like, "Hi, this is Ken Bates here. I oh, hear you've been trying to get hold of me." And then I got to about message ten, and it's Ken Bates going, uh, "I don't know if you can bleep the stuff here, so I'll bleep it for you." Are you effing ignoring me? Da, 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 da. You're right. Like, you better give me a call. And I was like sweating. I'd, so I saw phone. I was like, "Hi, is that Mister Bates?" And he's like, "Is that Gary Hayes?" I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "Where have you been?" I was like, "Oh, look, I've been on this family holiday in in Centre Parks, Ken. I, I do apologise. I haven't had any service and and whatnot." So um, we had a, a little chat, and um, and this was—I don't know if you remember it. It was—it was last February when we had the big storms, and um, I remember we had to stay at Centre Parks for an extra night because they wouldn't let us leave because of the, the high winds and stuff. So, um, I was there, like just wanting to get back up top so I could make another call, but I couldn't. And the Wi Fi was terrible. And, um, so anyway, the next day I drove home and Ken called me again. And then the next day after that, Ken called me again. And then he called me the next day. And then the next day, and it just went on and on and on and on. And I was like, Kerry, he just keeps calling me.
2: And, and then Kerry's saying was like, he's sussing you out. He's sussing you out.
1: And I just kept chatting to him. But sometimes he'd phone me, literally for a minute, and he would say, um, hello there, young man. I just thought I'd call you to say that um, I'm on my terrace overlooking the Mediterranean. Beautiful day. Sun is shining. I'm having a glass of red wine. Just want to know how it is on the estate. I was like, yeah, it's it's great on the council estate, Ken. Thanks. He'd be like, oh, that's good then. Right, I'll speak to you soon. I was like, okay. And uh, so we had all these, li- these little back and forth. And I think he, you know, obviously... I'm saying what I think, right? But he might. If you ever spoke to him, he might say, "No, Gary's an idiot." But I think he he liked my character and that um, I wasn't taking things too seriously. And um, you know, we spoke about everything from you know, my dad's not with us anymore, so I spoke about my dad and going to Chelsea. And then uh, I told it, and he went, "When did?" You? And it was funny because he went, "When was your dad going to Chelsea?" I said, oh, "I was in the '70s and '80s." And he went, "Ah, right, right. So your dad's one of those I tried to electrocute." <laughs> I was like, yeah, probably, probably that, uh, Ken. So we, we just had all these good chats and, um, and we spoke about Chelsea and, you know, why I support the club and stuff. And then, um, and in the end he just, you know, I spoke to Susanna, his wife, who's like a lovely, lovely woman. And, um, I just, I've grown so fond of him. And the one thing I say to people is that, you know, I know. And if you listen to the, the Ken Bates tapes, you, you'll hear Ken Bates is Ken Bates, but, there's another side of him that is is lovely and he's you know that's not to say that I'm blind to everything I'm not and that's not to say that we're biased with this interview we've done with him but um I think he's a a really nice guy and I think if anyone got to know him I think they'd have the the same opinion of him but I do think that when you're someone who's as long in the tooth as he is and you've seen everything I think you're right to be wary of people because there are people that we'll have an agenda that are looking to get something out of you. Right. So I think he's right to, to have that guard up. But then once you, once you get beyond it, um, you know, he, he's a great person. And then I got to go to his 91st birthday party in December over at the Chelsea Harbour Hotel. And, and we, yeah, we've just got a good relationship. It's not like we're best friends or anything, but um, you yeah, know, he phoned me on the day of the FA Cup final last year. I was having a beer with my cousin at, in Marlebone and um, I was a few sheets to the wind and I picked the phone out without looking. I was like, hello. he's like, Gary, it's Ken. I was like, <gasps> and my cousin looked at me and went, who are you talking to? And I went, it's Ken Bates. And he went, no, it's not. And he took it and he went, hello, Mr. Bates. And he went, who's this? And it's my cousin, Jamie. And he was like, oh, uh, yeah. And he, he's complete demeanor changed. Like, yeah, you're right, Mr. Bates. How are you? Starts so chatting to him. And then we had this little chat about the cup final. And then, um, and then, uh, he called you, didn't he, Kerry, as well that day?
2: Yeah, I, I spoke to him, and I, I've got a different relationship to him because I haven't spent the time with him. I, you know, the que- one question I wish that we would asked him is, you know, has he ever been to Centre Parks for a holiday? I can't, gosh, <laughs> that I can't would have been the interview
1: over. How dare you? How dare you?
2: <laughs> I own most of the Centre Parks. It probably yeah. would probably turn out, but yeah, I mean, it, it was extraordinary watching the build-up for for Gary building this relationship, and and that is the truth as to how most of this has worked out, that it's been building up relationships with people because we all know that so many... And again, I refer back to saying about the bigger companies doing much quicker, fast turnover projects. And it's like when you look online, everything is about the sensational headline, the the sensational news, the scurrilous story, as opposed to the more in-depth, long read that you get from certain top journalists... And you go, OK, you have put some time and effort into that. Well, we've put seven years worth of effort into this, um, eight years actually. And I think it, it will pay off because we haven't gone for the scurrilous. We've gone for the stories. And as much as Ken says, there will be other people that will have conflicting views on that later on in the series. And that's fine. We're not making a judgment call on any of this. We are presenting... Nice. A story and people can make their own minds up and if you ask me what i think about certain people or certain things I, i'll I, I probably won't say you know because it's not about my opinion it's not really about gary's opinion either it's about yeah. us doing a job that does justice to chelsea and does justice to everybody who is involved in that story
1: the, the key to it as well one thing we're keen to stress is that um We've done this as Chelsea fans. We're Chelsea fans. That's why we're doing it. But we've done it. It's a professional endeavor for us. This is this is what we do for a living. And um, yeah, it's was funny, wasn't it, Gary?
2: Gary, it's funny because we actually got a a text message today from somebody saying, "I oh, I loved it. It sounded so professional." Yeah. <laughs> and we are like, what, what,
1: "Well, that's what we are. We're professionals." But um, but you know, we, we've done it. Is we are Chelsea fans doing it? Um. But after this series, there's a series that we're going to be doing about another football club that's not Chelsea. Um, and right. then there'll be other series about other football clubs. And, um, you know, we're doing it through our company, Highway 61. We're, we're narrative podcast producers. This is what we do. And it's just that Chelsea was the story we wanted to tell first. So, but we, we've done it. So we, we're, I guess in this instance, we're, for want of a better term, I'm going to sound like David Brent entertainers first right no um we're sort of we're professionals first but then chelsea fans second in the in in that um in the sense that you know it's done with a lot of love and affection but we are doing it professionally as well and um you know ken even said to me and a few people have asked me they say oh so you're you're a ken bates man or a matthew hardy man and i was shocked that people were asking me and i just said i'm a documentary maker i'm not here to to take sides. I'm here to tell your story, Ken. And if anyone else wants to speak to us to tell their story. Um, So, you know, there's there's obviously certain things that um, you, you know, you act, there's an element of bias in there. Like I speak to Ken and you know, I'm not a Glenn Hoddle man, but I know what Glenn Hoddle did for Chelsea. But then I know even more so by the people we've spoken to about the stuff Glenn did that still isn't in the public domain. That you know, when Ken was a bit nasty with, with Glenn, I was defending him in the interview, obviously playing devil's advocate in the role as you're, you know, you're doing the interview, but also just saying, come on, you've got to I know there's stuff that goes on between them, but my view is Glenn did incredible stuff for for Chelsea. And so there's an element of bias there, but we're not coming into this and we're keen to stress the stuff about the Kent. Uh, we're talking about Ken Bates, the Ken and Matthew Harding. Um, we, we've spoken to people from both sides and we're just going to lay out, like Kerry said, we're laying out the information and saying to everyone, this is what we've been told. We're not manipulating anything. And you make your mind up. And if you, if you want to sit on the fence of it and just go, wow, this is crazy. We just had two incredible people at the helm at Chelsea that were trying to do. You know, it, it's, it's what we always say about politics is that Kerry and I are on different sides of the political spectrum, but we get along and we can talk about it properly. And we always say that we want to achieve the same thing. We just believe in a different way of getting there.
2: Yeah. And I think Kerry is. Gary is, of course, misguided, and I am trying to teach him an awful lot of
1: things. <laughs> but, 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 and I, I think that's the thing with Matthew Harding and Ken is that behind the headlines is that they both wanted to achieve the same thing. They just believed in a different way of doing it, which is fine because at the heart of it, you just had two incredible personalities that were there to do, you know, with their, the best interests of Chelsea Football Club at heart. So that's the one thing we're keen to stress is that we're not, we've released the Ken Bates tapes, but we're not necessarily pro Ken, but we're not anti-Matthew Harding or pro-Matthew Harding either but one thing I do caveat with is to say that you know I've got to know Ken not very very well in the way that other people will but I've got to know him over the last year and um, I am very fond of him.
0: Was there anything from this particular interview with Ken Bates or even the others that you've done in the series that surprised you so was there anything that you sort of knew about beforehand but then you were shocked to hear something different? What- what was uh, well, sort of something that... That's know, almost
1: every interview, did, isn't right? it, Kerry?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That That's <laughs> the thing. That That's what I was alluding to earlier, the fact that because I think we're open and honest and people can see that we are trying to tell stories, I think people have relaxed with us and we've created an environment where they can tell stories that, that have never been heard about their reaction to things, about things that happened. And again... It's more insight into the club than, and it's not scandalous. Nothing that we're doing is trying to be that kind of tabloid journalism. So it's proper in-depth documentary making, and and our subjects have relaxed and told us things. And for a lot of them, you know, once they finish playing, people apart from the, the you know the, the dinners they do and talks and things, and they might tell a few stories. Here, you've really felt that a lot of the people that you thought you might only get 20 minutes with, we've ended up spending two or three hours with because they've relaxed and have started telling stories for the very first time. And and weirdly, what, what happens usually in those cases is once they've told them, other people start asking them for the same stories. But because they've told them to us for the very first time on, on a lot of occasions, <clears throat> There's that freshness that you can only get with the very first time. So yeah, we yeah we've been surprised all the way through this recording. And you go, and sometimes because you're concentrating on the work aspect of it, and you're you you are taking in everything, but also sometimes you don't assimilate everything until you listen back to the recording. And then Gary phones me or I phone Gary. And go, Did you hear this bit? This is incredible. Oh, God, how come oh, I was working on this, you know, getting this right. And things just pass you by sometimes because you just it's information overload in a way. And I, I think that's what's so magical. And and it's the, the most amazing thing is what will we do with everything that we've got? Because there's so many great stories. Uh, I once had an idea because my film about gorillas ran over 350 hours of footage. And uh, there was a point when editing it that you get, oh, my God, is this ever going to end? Because you're going constantly going through and pulling out great bits and pulling out other bits. And I I had this idea. Here's a concept. Why don't we just release all the 350 hours of the footage and then have a competition called Cut It Your Effing Self? and then have a <laughs> have a prize for the best, best version of the film and I'd still love to do that i think it's a great concept but you know that that's that's always a documentary maker's problem you know is how do you put everything that you hear in and get everything out but also to not make it too stodgy because it, again it would be information overload for everyone else so there's an awful lot of you know hard editing to do on a project like this and um but it's exciting because so if you've if you've done things badly, you're searching for things to fill holes, and that is something we don't really have a problem. Yeah, the problem
1: is we're cutting. We've got to cut so much out, and um, we've just been working on episodes recently. and Kerry, he called me and he said, "You need to cut out my voiceover because it's too much of it. It's too long. It's going to make the episodes too long. We just got a piece. We've got to string these voices together without us."
2: Yeah, so, or a, bit, um, a minimal amount, you know. Yeah, just... yeah,
1: because we we just said what can we do because we've got so much great content and this and that's the thing we can stress about it isn't about us. We're just sort of the we are the not know like the the conduit to the story, right? We are your we want to give the story to the people that are listening. So um, we are trying to remove ourselves from it as much as we can. So when in the Kent Bates takes, because it's a straight interview, <clears throat> you will hear me talking to Ken at times, and then you hear Kerry pop up. But in this series, you won't hear my voice at all. Because um we're just going to be, you know, stitching it we're stitching it together where it flows from voiceover into interview into interview, you know. So yeah, we're trying a, to remove a... ourselves as much as we can from it so people hear as much as they do from the people that are important. And that's the fans we've spoken to, the journalists we've spoken to, the players and the executives, right?
2: And you need a certain amount of voiceover, but keeping it as minimal as possible because with, with video and film, you can always use image to take you from one scene to another, whereas in audio, you've got that element missing. So you need to be the voiceover is like uh, video linkage, really. It's the same equivalent. It does its job. It needs to get you from A to B, whether in a subtle way, whether in an obvious way, it kind of doesn't matter. You just do it to just go right. Here we are. We're in a new scenario now. And that's the background off you go.
0: What can the listeners expect from future episodes, you know, barring the Ken Bates interview, which I'm sure will be fascinating, but with the future sort of shows that you've got coming up, that is that tells the story of certain moments that are pivotal in Chelsea's history.
1: Yeah. So um, it's it's eight episodes and um, we are telling that story from, 92 to 2012, you know, from the perennial also runs in the Premier League era to, you know, the start of the Premier League era to 2012 winning the Champions League. We're keen to, you know, uh, articulate the fact that Chelsea didn't just appear out of nowhere in 2003. So there is a heavy influence from the 90s. And speaking to the players that we have, the likes of Scott Minto, Roberto Di Matteo, Eddie Newton, you know, David Lee, Nigel Spackman, players who, you know, and this is the one thing um, that is in the opening episode as we set it up in episode one is that it was a line that Kerry wrote because we write the scripts together and Kerry put this line in and I remember it and I was like yeah that's on, that's on the money because that's so important because what Kerry said is um, over time you know names and voices are forgotten in football because it is about the here and now so we've gone back into the 90s and we're speaking to people who you know they can walk down the Kings Road on a match day and get mobbed but outside of that, they can go into pre on a Monday and no one really pays them any attention. Um, you know, it's not they're not like John Terry or Frank Lampard where there's always going to be a, a an Instagram post or something about them. But they're so important to the Chelsea story, you know. And we, we spoke to Scott Minto about that, and he he was like really happy that we're putting an emphasis on it because those guys really, really built Chelsea. You know, they, they took us to the ninety seven Cup final and and won that and then they subsequently won the, the trophies that came on the back in, you know, in the late nineties, you know, the cup, cup the, the league cup, um, and then the FA cup again in 2000. Yeah. But because Chelsea have been so dominant and so successful in these past 20 years, it's almost like that's forgotten. Yeah. And we're keen to get that across that it's not. So we're doing these eight episodes where we start off with the turning point of modern Chelsea. And, um, we're not doing this to be, you know, um, That We're trying to have a different perspective and we're overthinking it and thinking that we're being too deep or whatever, you know. But in in our perspective and to our story, the turning point isn't when Roman Abramovich comes in in July 2003. It's actually 18 months later because that's when the baby's born. That's when Chelsea are playing Barcelona. That's when Chelsea have been preparing everything for this moment to to go up against the powerhouse of, of European football. And when UEFA are against us, when Barcelona are against us, when the media is against us, and everyone is against us, that you've got a manager and Jose Mourinho who goes, no, "No, no, 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 you don't, but you don't push this club around anymore." And that's when Chelsea's born, right? That's when everything was building up to that, and bang, that moment in the new camp, that was it. And we've got great insight into what happened at the new camp with people that are behind the scenes and store things they've never spoken about publicly before Um, so we tell that story because it's so important and then we go back to 2000 in the same episode and talk about when we played Barcelona there and we spoke to like Torre Andre Flo Frank Leberth Jody Morris and we're setting it up and there's an amazing line from Torre because he says to me Chelsea needed to lose that game in 2000 in order to win in 2005 because the club was maturing and it's so it's so interesting that it's Barcelona that bookends that story right that Barcelona in the Champions League, going out in the quarterfinal in the fashion we did, but then we get them in the last sixteen and go that little bit further. So that's that's where we start the story. But in order for it, all of this to happen, you got to get Glenn Hoddle, and we go back and we bring Glenn in, and that's where it goes and then bring it right up to twenty twelve. Fantastic. Because that's the key thing to understand is that, like I say, we're not being biased here, but you've got to look at stuff as in in the way that we're telling the story and. There's, You can say Chelsea wouldn't exist without Ken Bates, and it wouldn't. But then Chelsea wouldn't exist like it does now without Matthew Harding, And that's all the back office stuff. But when it comes to the or, football...
2: Or Glenn Hoddle, or Roberto, Roberto Di Matteo, or Jose <clears> Mourinho, or... or but the, Glenn, H- Glenn H-
1: Hoddle is that turning point. Glenn Hoddle, yeah. as we talk about the turning point of Barcelona, but that's where the story pivots. But where the story starts is with Glenn Hoddle. And... You know, and this is where I I disagreed with Ken and I said it to him and he said, you know, but what did he win? And I was like, but it's not about what you win, is it, Ken? And Ken looks at it very much as an owner, as the many owners do. And we can't understand why a manager has been sacked or a player has been sold because they look at it as spreadsheets and in a very different way. But from the way I look at football, and that's not to say that I'm right. It's just my opinion. But Chelsea, it's Glenn Hoddle. That that is Chelsea. And I'm completely in awe of him as well
2: and yeah and and the last point on this is that everybody who is in this series and also all the other people who aren't in the series every single one of them has created this this modern chelsea and the way that we changed football with how we are is down to every single person who has worked for worked with worked in chelsea footballer boardroom member person behind the staff and everyone has had a role to play in modern Chelsea. And we're hoping that people see that we are just trying to tell that story.
0: Was there anything that you wanted to cover in the series, but was unable to?
1: There's stuff that's come up that we just thought we don't want to go there because that puts us in, it's tempting to do certain things, but we just think that it's going to put us in a in a place that we don't want to be because we're not about that. So what we've had to say to people is, um, because that's what we say, you know, we, we're talking to, hopefully in a couple of weeks, someone incredibly influential at Chelsea. And the one thing that we've said to that person is, look, <clears throat> we're not looking for scandal. We don't want, you we know. We don't
0: want to be a controversial. Sort yeah, and
1: of... it, it's not. It's not like we're avoiding controversy, not to cause controversy, because we know there's stuff in there that will. You know, Ken Bates says in in the interview with us, I regret naming the Matthew Harden stand, the Matthew Harden stand, mm-hmm. and that's a really powerful thing. But we leave it in there because that's Ken's words, and that's articulating something about that period. But there's a, certain things that have come from other interviews that we just thought. That's too scurrilous. It's not about the football. It's not about the running of the club. It's not, that's just the the page three headline. But we're not interested in that, so we've had to leave stuff out. Not because, again, because you know we're not we're not out to offend anyone, but equally we're not out to protect anyone in the way of we don't want to say that in case someone gets upset. We just want to tell an honest story. So, so we've seen stuff in front of us where we just thought we could go down that route, but we don't want to because we're not about that. So there's there's certain bits like that, but um, generally speaking when we've tried to get the insight for the story that we're telling, I think we've, by and large, got it, haven't we, Kerry?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think so. It's there. Everything else now is icing on the cake. You know, there comes a point where you have to put your equipment down. And and on the la- last point, that, which was, comes out of the first point, that cigarette trick through gorillas, uh, when he did that last flick of the cigarette, I just went, thank you. I've got my ending. And I stopped filming from that moment. And sometimes you just have to realise when it's the end of that and you're done. And that, that, that's how life is.
1: And that's what's happened with us.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what does the future hold for you
0: guys in terms of the podcast and in terms of the series? Are you looking to maybe do other little mini episodes in terms of you know what could be the fallout of something? Is there any potential plans going forward with all this?
1: Yeah, we'd like to tell more Chelsea stories, really. Um what they are, I we don't know yet. Um
2: Let's get this one done first Yeah, mate. We'll
1: get this one done. But um you know, it, it's funny because to, to Kerry Kerry has a podcast called The Chelsea that I come as a guest on and he does it with with Andy Saunders and um there was a period where I couldn't go <gasps> pardon me, I, I couldn't go on it 'cause I'd just I'd been really sick and then um I hadn't been, I hadn't been to any football for a year and I had time off, but I just felt like I. I. St- it was at the time I was just starting this, and I'd I'd had enough, and I was so burned out by everything I'd been doing. I'd been following Chelsea for so long, and and I'd said to Kerry, I was like, after the blueprint, I just never want to talk about Chelsea publicly again. Um, but now we're nearly finishing this. I'm just like, there's more I want to do. There's more I want to do because again, it comes. I am professional. Well, I try to be a professional, um, but I just can't escape chelsea it's just it's there i just can't escape it
0: i know how that feels from a personal point but last question in terms of obviously you guys and what your plans going forward if anybody is listening to this that wants to get in touch with you guys or wants to sort of be part of this this project how can they go about it how can they sort of reach out to you guys or how can they sort of find you on social media how would they be able to go about it?
2: Well, um, it's easy. We're we're pretty visible on on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Kerry Levy C E R I L E V Y. Gary is at Gary Hayes two R's in Gary H uh, A Y E S. Um, yeah, we're there. You know, if you've got something that needs to be said or whatever, or you just want to know more, or what have you? Follow us. Get in touch. Whatever we we are about, and, <clears throat> and, if, and, and if of you'd... course, I was just you do the blueprint pod. I then
1: yeah. So uh, yeah, if you if you go to blueprint underscore pod on Twitter or Instagram as well, and uh, if you do need Kerry for anything, just dial nine nine nine, and he'll be available.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I am the, the emergency. emergency service. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, of course, if Gary gets in touch, call 911. <laughs> <laughs> well, because
1: I will be in America, probably. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> well, gentlemen, it's been superb to have
0: you on the show and to discuss the Blueprint pod and discuss, obviously, your memory. So I appreciate your time on the show, and hopefully we'll see you guys further down the road. And, again, good luck with the series, and congratulations on everything in terms of the achievements that you and the plaudits that you're getting with the blueprint
2: pod as well. Thanks very much, Keith. It's been a yeah, Thanks for having us on, pleasure. Keith. And thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> Podcast Network.